Yes, yes, yes. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. We're going live from Brooklyn. I am in my restaurant, Della, New York City. My guest today, I think, I think he's in Queens. He might be. He might be upstate. We'll we'll dissect all that as we get into this. Before I bring my guest on, the message of the week. It's short and sweet. A picture is worth a thousand words. Let's hear what my old friend Justin Hawk has to say about that. What's up, my brother? Hello, how you doing? Hello, how are you? You're handsome too. Oh, He's sending stop. me like little love messages, screenshots of myself. <laughs> yeah, That's well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm still only going to mark you as much as I promised I would market you. Okay, right, that's fair. That's fine. <laughs> There's well, no bonuses for flattery. <laughs> I don't do it for like the perks. I do it because it just feels good to give. You are, you are such a sweetheart. That's why you're here. That's why you're in the hot seat. All so Justin, he uh, he has a photography company called Jayhawk Photography. He's also an actor here in New York City. Are you in New York right now? Or are you upstate? No, I'm up in Binghamton. You're in Binghamton. But you got a place in Queens as well. That's where I live, yeah. I have a rental property up here that I've been working on for the last two and a half months. So that's the other thing. Besides photography and acting, he's also dabbling in investment real estate and is quite the carpenter and handyman. We we, we ripped the couch apart together once. That was lots of fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's always fun. I had this oversized couch in my my old apartment. We could not, I don't know how to, I remember when we moved in, that was like 11 years ago, they had to take the window out to get the couch in. And I was like, I'm not fucking doing that. So Justin came over with some hand saws and some crowbars and that, that couch was done. It was, it was bye-bye and we ripped yeah. it apart, ripped it apart with our bare hands because Justin is also a grappler. So you went to University of Binghamton, is that correct? Yep. You studied there and you did some wrestling in high school and, and at Binghamton. So give everybody a little backstory. Where, how did you get to such profound accomplishments? Oh, well, I don't know oh. about that. But, uh, you know, I, I've always been interested in a lot of different things. And uh, I've just pursued my interests, right? So if something is intriguing to me, I'll go after it. I'll learn about it. I'll do it. I'll... You know, when uh, necessity speaks, I invent ways to solve problems, right? So, uh, yeah, I just chase whimsy. <laughs> well, that's like that's like very grappling kind of jujitsu mentality, right? It's like like there's always uh, that sense of pressure. There's always like you're always getting tossed and turned. It's dynamic problem solving. And yeah. I want to like, I definitely want to like talk about that a little later. Let, let's start with, uh, with like the business aspect though. So at a certain point you got into photography and made that like a, a, a main gig. Did you, did you study photography in school? What was your degree in at, at, at Binghamton? I got a bachelor's in uh, psychology and a bachelor's in management with a concentration in finance. Hmm. And uh, then okay. after I graduated, I took uh, two full time jobs concurrently. I was working. Uh, yeah, I was working. <laughs> He's a, a hustler, uh, too, if I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was working at a drug and alcohol rehab uh, or nonprofit. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. I, re- yeah, I remember that. Doing, um, uh, the installation of a database to track the use of homeless services. 
And then at night and on weekends, I was going to a, a techie t-shirt company doing business development. So I did that for a while. Um, and then uh, I decided, well, and actually all of that all along was to create a backup plan in case my acting career fizzled and didn't work out. So after a couple of years of doing that up in Binghamton here, I, uh, I decided it was time to move to the city. Um, a jump ship here. I had the rental property I'd bought and spent a couple years fixing up and getting ready so that it was possible for me to make that move and for this to be a, like a passive income stream. Yeah. And, um, putting that finance to work. And, uh, and then I moved to the city and I was pursuing acting as my main thing for like five years. And I didn't want a job because that would, you know, hold me down and make it mm -hmm. difficult for me to go to auditions and control my schedule. So I just started picking up random gigs. Um, and uh, I, I spent the first year mostly making my income as a handyman. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then I picked up an editing job where I was working on somebody's novel and uh, doing the graphic design layout and uh, putting together the, the construct of the book for submission to publisher and all that kind of stuff. And I picked up IT jobs where I was doing like networking for different companies. I was building websites. I was babysitting. I was doing moving stuff. Um, you know, people needed a couch. I had a van. Uh, so I was doing stuff like that. And, um, and then photography entered the mix about a year and a half, two years into that process. And uh, it, was a, it was part of the mix. It was never like more than half of my income, but it was the biggest chunk about five years in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then at that point I took a job, uh, at a youth wrestling nonprofit called beat the streets. And, uh, they were initially just a client. I was also doing grant writing. So they needed to help, uh, needed some help diversifying their income streams. So I came on board and started you know, again, picking up random kind of things. Like I could handle the ticketing for the annual gala because I had tech background and I started managing the website. And then I was helping kids do whatever they needed to do to like, you know, get their lives in order and, and straighten things out so that they could succeed in life. And, um, and then that eventually grew into a full-time job and I worked there full-time for a couple of years. And then I left there in 2014 and decided to go full-time photography. Um, I had continued shooting, right? Yeah. Through that, that job, that was one of my responsibilities. And, um, and so I continued doing the photography. And, uh, and then when I left, I was like, all right, let's see if I can do this full-time. So uh, that was six years ago. And, and the photography, when did that like enter your life? Was that something you just did like as a kid and just were always passionate about and just it was a little, I mean, it was, it was there. It was something that I did as a little kid. I had like a little like click camera. I had like the, the, the film that looked like binoculars from the side. Those disposable like, cameras you could get from like the, the drugstore. Those are the best. Yeah, I guess even a disposable one. It was just like, it had like the, like the flashes and like the cartridges that you would stick on top and it would yeah. actually like explode a bulb. And then there was like five of those in this like cartridge. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. So I had I one of those. those. Yeah. And I, I didn't remember it being like a big thing for me. Like it wasn't something that I was like really passionate about or really interested in, but I had it and I liked doing it. Um, and then 
I, I really got into this idea of documenting things and mm. like saving them because memory is terrible. Like human memory is so fallible and just awful. So this idea of capturing things and having an objective sort of memory of something uh, really appealed to me. And at first it was video that I was more interested in. Yeah. But um, that was just too much post-production, right? Like it was pre-digital. So I was working with like cassette tapes and it just was, it was too much work and it was too much stuff to like manage. And then I, when I got out of college, I decided that photography maybe was a little more accessible. So uh, I got a camera. It wasn't like a big SLR. It was just a, a point and shoot. It had like a nice optical zoom on it, but it had manual control. So I could kind of learn. And I, I, I did that as a, like a dipping my toe in the water sort of thing. You know, is this something I'm really going to pursue? Is this something I'm going to be interested in, you know, before I invest a lot of money and, you know, throw money away potentially. Let's <laughs> yeah. see if I like this. And I brought it with me everywhere I went. And, you know, it started being a thing that I would, I would do. I took headshots at my old job, the nonprofit, right? The first one when I still lived here in Binghamton. And I would, they would, uh, it was kind of in a rural setting. So we would get visits from animals. And so anytime like a groundhog came around, people would say, oh, there's like something out front, get your camera. And so I would come out and I'd take like these like pseudo nature photography shots. I got like pictures of bunnies, like tiny little like babies, like with their ears poking up amongst the grass, and, like that kind of stuff. And, uh, and that really was kind of when it started. And, um, and then after I moved to the city and was doing that and just freelancing full time, you know, as a business, right. And just picking up random stuff. Um, it became a business opportunity. Yeah. And then I got an SLR and that's been like my main thing since. Boom. I love how you just like effortlessly tied everything into the message today that the picture's worth a thousand words. And that's one of the reasons why it's like, and, and I like that you brought up video. Cause I was going to ask you about that. Like why not video? Because it's so, it's so like necessary, especially for business today. But I mean, photography still big time on the map. Like I'm doing, and, and you're right. Like the video editing is just so time consuming. Like I finally just, I finally just like hired somebody, you know, to just help. Cause I, I, I was sitting there subtitling, you know, cutting the chunks of time out from like, and it's just, it's hours, hours. And I just don't have that time anymore. But photography, you can kind of, you can get it done rather quickly. You can bump it out. It's very translatable to like all platforms. Um, and, uh, and, and it still conveys a big message. You know, well, there's so much to be said in there. Yeah. Well, it, it actually does some things that video can't do, right? Mm -hmm. So as we're processing the world or as we're watching a video, we're constantly like ejecting information from that signal out of our brains because we can't process. And it's not all relevant, right? But what you can do in a still photo is you can stop a moment in time and analyze different things that you wouldn't pick up on either whether watching it live or watching a video. So there's like a there's an intrinsic power to it that supersedes kind of like the perception that you can get during even just being there. Like I'll look at photos afterwards and be like, I had no idea this was happening while I was taking yeah. that thing. Yeah. You yeah. see something in there and you're just like, what? Like that was there? All yeah. the time. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff. That's a great explanation and just like elaboration of that message. You knocked it out of the park. That's it. Okay, we're done. 
right. That's the show everybody knows. We are going to take a break, though. We'll come back and, I don't know, I'll set them up with something else. We'll see. This is going to be a fun one. All right, everybody, hang tight. We'll be back in just a minute. Awesome. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Okay, everybody, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, this is the Entrepreneurial Web. I am your host, Jeremiah Fox. We are here with Justin Hawk. He is a Queens resident who also has investment property in Binghamton, where he went to school. He's in Binghamton currently, but he is a New York City-based freelance photographer, actor, and is also, as he explained, and I think many of us did this upon arrival, (laughs) to New York City, just did like every gig under the sun. I did so many silly things, but he was even like the man with the van. (laughs) He could disassemble a couch with his bare hands. Um, (laughs) And so we're talking about, we just did a little background on him and how he ended up meandering through to a photography business. Um, And we're gonna talk now a little further about some of the other things that he's done with that. Uh, He was also a grappler in high school and college. And at a certain point, the photography business really kind of zeroed in on the international grappling scene. So any of you that listen to the show or follow me on social media or know me, know my passion for grappling, jujitsu, wrestling, judo, all those types of things. So we're going to get, we're going to get down to the ground and, and figure out like how, how did that tie in together? How did that become kind of like a hyper focus for your photography? Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it was something I was passionate about, right? Like I started yeah. when I was four 
and I wrestled competitively for 20 years. You know, I wrestled in college. Um, I did, I did five years in undergrad so that I could continue wrestling or redshirted. Like I did like the whole thing. Right. Yeah. And, and then I worked for a youth wrestling nonprofit, right? Like, so for those of us who have gone through wrestling or other, you know, grappling kind of like institutions, right. A lot of things, but, um, wrestling in particular has this, um, something about it that what it instills in you when you go through it is foundational for everything else you do in the rest of your life. Right. And those of us who have, you know, grew up wrestling really believe strongly in that. And we identify that as being a critical factor and it's a tool then that, you know, we want to deliver to other youth because it was so important in the way that we became who we are that we want to spread that, that power. Right. So, um, so there's this nonprofit beat the streets that got started up and I, you know, hooked up with them and worked there for a few years. And, uh, and then when I left, I had, you know, I didn't want to stop spreading that message of wrestling. Right. Um, at the college level, like it's, it's, it's lost a bunch of programs in, in the last 20, 30 years. And so opportunities have been in drying up and it's never really been an, an urban sport anyway. It hasn't really taken hold in a lot of cities and like right. high school and things like that. And so, um, so the mission to beat the streets was kind of like to, to spread it and preserve it and build it in urban areas. Right. So um, I didn't want to stop spreading that message and, and telling the story of wrestling. So uh, there wasn't like an economy for wrestling photography. Right. So I was just doing it first because I cared about it and I wanted to keep telling that story. But because I need to survive and pay my bills, I've turned it into a way to like actually make a living. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that I'm like making a living on wrestling photography. Right. But I'm at least like not losing money on wrestling photography. Yeah. And it's taken five, six years to get to that point where it's actually an income stream and not an expense. And and the grappling scene has also improved, especially in terms of their events. I mean, even just in the last three years, they've gotten tremendously better. They've ta- kind of taken some lessons from uh, the UFC in terms of promotion and and just making the event more of a of a thing. Where when you take a picture of it and you put it out there, people are like, "Holy shit, that looks fun!" You know what I mean? And it's not it's not bloody. You know, there's no striking whether it's submission grappling or uh, what, it, I mean, you, you've done a lot of stuff in Europe as well. Um, I mean, I, in the States, it's pretty much, it doesn't, nothing happens past college, right. In terms of, uh, in terms of wrestling, unless you, you get into the submission grappling scene and you're dealing with like, it, it's often a, a mix of jujitsu and catch wrestling. And no, I mean, if you're like on the Olympic, like path, like there's a oh, lot I guess there. I guess there's the Olympics. I forgot about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. we, we lost it. We missed them this year. Right? <laughs> yeah. but, but to be honest, like that economy is really evolving a lot too. Right. Okay. Like, I'm a lot of time now, like I've been to three different events during quarantine or like professional wrestling, mm-hmm. right? Like um, Olympic style wrestling, but as a professional pursuit. Right. And that's a new thing. Like, it's a really evolving space. It's actually really gotcha. interesting. And, and that's happening in the States. Yeah. Yeah. I was, oh, um, cool. was in Penn State on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Chicago uh, in 
July, I want to say, maybe June. And then I went to Austin, Texas uh, in July or August. There's another event coming up in Austin. Uh, there's an event coming up in Iowa. So and Penn State's going to do an, you know more of these going forward. And that's uh, part of the whole infrastructure of wrestling that's kind of building up around the Olympic movement. Right. A lot of these regional training training centers are popping up. And mm-hmm. so like, the one at Penn State is the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club, the Hawkeye Wrestling Club in Iowa. Um, and they're just all over the place. So um, <clears throat> they're paying athletes to be full time athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a stipend there. And then there's these uh, fight cards that are, you know, again, taking from like the MMA community and yeah. build events around that. Uh, you know, flow sports, you know, they do the who's number one event, which is, yeah, I wanted to ask you about them and, and your connection with them. I finally, especially, you know, before I never really had time and, and I was training every day, so I just didn't feel that need, but I finally like when that, that last one that came up with, uh, uh, like the Ryan brothers and Mateus Denise and Paula Miel, I was like, man, I would, I'd kind of like to see that. So I finally got the app and I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. But I remember you posting stuff, uh, like working with them throughout the event. So these, the, the, the more like Olympic style wrestling events, are they, are they similar to like, uh, well, I don't want to say metamorphs cause they're done, but what's a, like Polaris out of the UK. What, what's the one that, um, Hollis Gracie, uh, started here in New York. Why am I forgetting the name of that? It's, I don't know. The, I don't know those, the ones that, uh, that I'm tuned into, like I don't do as much with jujitsu, I've done a couple of events, but I'm far more involved in in like the wrestling community. And um, there's some crossover, but it's not a ton. Um, The wrestling stuff is pretty independent. Um, USA Wrestling is the national governing body uh, for Olympic wrestling in the United States. They do, you know, the nationals and the world team qualifiers and that kind of stuff. And they do a, a range of events from youth level up through senior level. And then you've got some of these other startups um, like Flow Sports. They have yeah. verticals in like 23 different sports or something. And uh, Flow Wrestling and Flow Track are like their big. Well, Flow Grappling actually is, I think, depending on which metrics you look at, there's like a bigger following for grappling than there is for, for wrestling. But I think like yeah. Flow Track is their like most trafficked site. Um, but then it's like wrestling and grappling and and they do events. So they've got some stuff coming up where they are putting together a catch weight eight man bracket and the winner is getting, I think, 20 grand and the runner ups getting five and then everybody mm-hmm. else is getting a thousand dollars to show. And um, they've got another event coming up where they're doing a, a similar sort of thing with guys at 150 pounds. And they've got an event coming up where, uh, you know, two really big guys in the, in the wrestling world are going to face off that normally wouldn't. They're different weight classes, right? Yeah. And so like a super match so there's there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening and there's new players in that space too um mm-hmm. mission underground uh, yeah yeah they did a they started a, a new thing and they didn't see if i can find the one that um they were like doing they were doing stuff out of uh the what's it called uh ballroom uh bowery ballroom here in new york they did hey. a number i don't know about that what am i um uh, what's it? There's so many things out there. It's hard to keep track of everything. I'll I'll find it by by the next uh, by the next by the next commercial. I'll get it or during the next commercial. I'll pull it up. But um, that sounds good. 
so so the events they're putting on though are like they're hyped up they got like the smoke machines and the lights and everything and it's like it's a it's a big deal and that that is more attractive to like a, a wider audience and it's bringing right. more people in and like you said they're they're actually paying the athletes they're actually paying like flow's got a whole freaking setup i saw behind the scenes i think it was at like one of the ibjjf qualifiers in california a year or so ago and they just it was like an entourage that they were bringing to this event and i was like this is like full-on media company oh yeah they're i mean they're vc funded i mean they got millions in in, in venture capital right so I, I, I was I saw some early stuff from them and I'm like, oh, it's a couple guys with like a camera like they would go to Hanzo Gracie or Marcelo's or Unity and they would film. And maybe that's how they started. But it was like at a certain point, I was like, holy shit, these guys are like doing it. No, it was like two brothers in a van driving around. Right, right. Order and put it like just making stuff like it really was that. And then it grew and evolved and then they expanded in a whole bunch of different sports and all these different verticals. And I mean, now it's a full on thing. Like they roll deep when they come into a place to put yeah. on it and they produce events and they, um, they are rights holders for a lot of other events. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, events that they're not producing, they're covering and are the broadcast partner for. Right. So, so big. Yeah. They're a big player in the space. And, and do you get work from them as like a freelance photographer? Yeah, I, I yeah. shoot events for them sometimes, and you know I'm tight with a lot of the people down there, and you know there's a lot of a lot of relationships um, that you built over the years that are great. That's awesome. And then you you travel to Europe and other places around the world often to document as well. And what's the scene like there? It's still it's still a form of grappling, right? Like you said, it's not so much jujitsu, but it's it's like grappling arts. Um, yeah. and, and are they doing something similar where it's like post-university maybe tied into the or <laughs> like he laughs okay <laughs> do well don't go too deep because in a minute we're gonna have to take another break but lay lay the foundation for this and then we'll take a break and we'll come back and dissect that that giggle <laughs> yeah there's, uh, there's no other country in the world that does university sports like we do okay so that's that's why i laughed is because there's no post-university thing in uh kazakhstan right uh, <laughs> right. It's just a school of Khabib. <laughs> you wrestle with bears as a kid. And if you don't survive, well, then you're just not going to make it in the real world. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, it's just a different model. Um, gotcha. And that's what because I went, you know, I wish that that opportunity existed other places, but yeah. that's just. Another so, you know, internationally, it's all Olympic stuff. Like we wrestle a, a completely different style in the United States schools than anywhere else in the world. Like it's not the same as what's in the Olympics. And um, right. we're the only country in the world that wrestles that style. Mm-hmm. And wait, that's just called, uh, is that just freestyle? No, freestyle and Greco are the two Olympic styles. And okay. we, we have what we have in school. Uh, it, it's known differently in different regions of the country. So like some places call it folk style, some places call it collegiate, some places yeah. call it scholastic, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, what it rewards is different. So it creates different strategies for for success, but that's our folk style, right? So like Japan has sumo and uh, Senegal has lam and- Dude, that's uh, the Senegalese fighting is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, right. And that, and they, and their like highest level of this does have striking. I've seen it. They're like open hand slaps sometimes, or they, I saw one where like one hand was wrapped in like this crazy like gook and then they like grounded in the sand 
and they would hit with that only one hand and each person it was it was like that yeah but not glass it was just like sand but like only one hand it was like the outside hand and they each had it it was crazy yeah but i'm surprised so my my head chef and my sous chef at Della, they're both from the Gambia, which is like yeah. old school Senegal. And they yeah. were like, yeah. And they're like, oh, you must look at this. And they're like sending me videos. And I was just like, they, and they're big, too. These are not little guys. These are big, mm. big African dudes. They and they, they don't have weight classes. <laughs> they just, yeah, exactly. And they're like loincloths and they beat the piss out of each other. And I was just like, oh, man. At first I was watching. I was like, yeah, I might be able to get in there. And then I saw that. I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to we're going to take a break when we come back. I want to talk a little more about like the the you know, the the adventures in Europe and like what's happening there and and get you to laugh a little bit more. So hang tight everybody. We'll be back in just a few. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. conscious co-creator are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness i'm sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant and on my show the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we will touch upon all these topics and more listen live at our new time on thursdays at 12 noon eastern time that's the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity thursdays 12 noon on talkradio.nyc curious person always asking questions do you desire to be in the know then join me antonia host of so now you know thursdays at 5 p.m at talkradio.nyc listen in as i attempt to satisfy that curiosity i will be talking with amazing everyday people join the fun so now you know on thursdays at 5 p.m at talkradio.nyc you're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back, folks. Again, happy Friday. You're listening to The Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. Tuning in with us today is my old friend and New York City-based photographer, actor, and investment property owner, Justin Hawk. We were talking about how his photography business started to zero in on the international wrestling scene. I'll say wrestling instead of grappling, um, or maybe he'll correct me. Um, over the years, based on his passion for both, he was he was a 
uh, high school and college wrestler um, and tying in the lessons of life that wrestling taught him and then plugging that into some of his other adventures. And it, it uh, started to bring in a, a, a little paycheck here over time, uh, documenting uh, wrestling matches all over the country. So, or all over the world, I'm sorry, we were talking about the national grappling scene and we were just starting to talk about the international scene uh, right before we went to the break. And I figured out what that circuit was. It was Kasai. Do you, do you know what country it's from? It's, it's right here. They're based in New York. Oh, 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 oh. I was thinking about the, the sand. Oh. oh, yeah. No, no. That, yeah, no. That was just that just badass Senegalese fighting. Just Google that. Like, badass Senegalese fighting. And <laughs> you'll find the video. It'll be there. It's treacherous. Yeah. No, I, like, ran. I went the other way. I was like, yeah, you gave me no. nightmares. I remember now. Yeah. The, the boogeyman. No, Kasai. Do you remember? Is that familiar? No, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, so they 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 just kicked off. Uh, they started in 2016. They probably didn't really start putting events on until 2017. And okay. I, like the first one was pretty cool. Like again, they were doing a lot of stuff out of like the Bowery Ballroom, um, and they even did one in I think they did one in Williamsburg at some uh, some space. Um, okay. Hollis Gracie is one of the founders, and he's got a couple other guys that are like more from the financial and marketing background. Um, and, and just well-funded, you know, and, and, and well thought out, like trying to learn from the mistakes from, of like Meta Morris and a couple of the other ones that just like didn't pan out. Um, good cards, you know, paying fighters, great promotion, great event. And they, they got a lot of compliments um, on, on just the event itself and like putting something together. And I don't know, do they like, do they, is it like UFC where they like sell beer and everything? Or is it, is it more, uh, like most of these events you go to is it, are they buying is it like buying beers and and rooting like yeah kick his ass or is it is it more like cerebral depends on the event some of them have concessions some of them don't um yeah it's uh you know it's a it's a wild west right now like there's a lot of different right. Kind of events right and people are just trying stuff and seeing what works so there's a lot of interesting uh different sorts of approaches to it um, but yeah, some of them, some of them do that and make it a big full blown event. And look, mm-hmm. There's uh, definitely beer involved. <laughs> so, selling hot dogs and popcorn. Yeah. And then, and then how does it, you were starting to talk about Europe and how it's different and how like, there's not like, if you go to college in France, they don't have like a, they don't have a grappling team, you know, right. it's competing. It's so what, what's the situation there besides the bears? <laughs> yeah. Besides the bears. Uh, besides yeah, there's like a club um, structure and uh, there's the national governing body structure, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll go to, um, you know, Dagestan, right, where Khabib is from. And uh, in Mah- uh, Mahashkala, there's a um, there's a training center. And if you go, you know, one uh, territory over into uh, Chechnya, right, like they've got like their structure, then one over in Ossetia, they've got their structure. And then you go south into Georgia and they've got their structure. So there's a lot of those kinds of things. And, um, and that's kind of how it runs around the world then. Um, yeah. you know, you've got your nationally governing bodies and there might be Olympic training centers. Like we have one in Colorado Springs. So we've kind of got that structure, but then, you know, in Rome, they've also got their kind of thing where they have, you know, a dormitory and they've got athletes training there and there's facilities and uh, they live there and they train there full time and that's their job. Right. Yeah. So that exists in different places. And, you know, and then there's like, you know, other places where that structure doesn't exist and you've got people just 
competing and trying to make it while they're working a full-time job doing something else. Yeah. Right. And that exists a lot of places too. So there's a really, there's a lot of diversity in the way that the, the infrastructure. Yeah. So I, I think I guess one of the biggest differences is just like the ge- geography, like the footprint. It's like, you've got a bunch of smaller European countries. And like you said, each one kind of does it a little bit different where here it's more of like, we have a big footprint a bigger population, it's just like kind of unified uh, to an extent nationally where they're just like little little bits and pieces changing uh, all throughout. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like socioeconomic status of the countries yeah. makes a difference too. Like, like Cuba doesn't have a lot of money, but they turn out some badass wrestlers, holy cow. And, and fighters in general. Right. <laughs> well, I feel like the like harder, the harder hit countries are the ones that, that the dudes are just so scrappy and hungry and it's yeah. just like those are the guys like the guys that grew up with like the pristine training environment like some of them are great like the hughes brothers they're just phenomenal you know they just yeah. like they just kill it but like you get those guys that just were like dirt poor and just like starving as a kid and they just they will they will destroy you <laughs> yeah well I, I remember seeing stuff about like world champion boxers like you could almost like find out what parts of the world are, you know, having more trouble uh, economically based on like how good their fighters are, right? Like there's something like that or where the world from or something. I feel like I've seen that before. Well, there, you know, there's these documentaries too on like Thai fighters and Burmese fighters. And have you seen, there's this, uh, this style from Burma, which is like just North of Thailand and it's yeah. essentially Muay Thai, but they allow headbutts. It's treacherous. There's a documentary on Netflix. I always forget the name of it. Uh, anyways, yeah. It, but I've seen a couple of documentaries, and it's like these kids just from like poor farms, and dude, they just they started like seven years old competing and like headbutting each other. And like, it's it's treacherous, but they do it just just that's like their only way to get ahead. They're scrappy. I like I wouldn't want to get in the ring with one of those seven year olds. Like right. no way, man. This dude's gonna he's gonna leg kick my knee and it's gonna blow out and that's gonna be it. I'm just gonna be on the ground. Like I'm too old for that shit. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And then and and in Europe, uh, how do the events kind of play out? Uh, similar or different to the U.S. And how does the funding work for that? Especially for somebody like you, where they're they're bringing you in as like a freelance because you go for a while sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, when I do that, I don't I don't get paid by the events, right? Like I, when I'm going to, uh, you know, I was in Kazakhstan, right? In uh, like last year and um, I've been to uh, Budapest and I've been to Paris and I've been to um, uh, Macron, France. So when I'm going to those events, I'm shooting them freelance and I get paid by the sponsors of the athletes, right? So they want marketing photos for their sponsors. Mm. So that's how I make that work. Um, one time I worked for United World Wrestling, which is the world governing body. And I went to the junior world championships one year and shot that. And so they paid me like a day rate, you know, paid my expenses and that kind of thing. So like those situations, um, there are a couple like leagues around the world. Like there's a Bundesliga in Germany where they have, um, competitions and there's like teams and it's run like, uh, like a, like a soccer league or like, um, um, like a, like a major league baseball or something like that. Right. Like they, mm-hmm. they have uh, athletes come in and they put together matches and there's a, a short season. Right. Um, India also has one. Uh, so you'll have some of those, but most of the, most of the places around the world, like the Olympic movement is their professional league. 
and you know they'll support them like in russia like you win a world title and you get an apartment right yeah but it's also expected that you're going to win the world title like if you're on the russian team like not winning is a failure i was gonna say what happens if you don't win (laughs) he he disappeared we don't know where he he went for a walk one day (laughs) yeah well i mean joke but yeah no i'm I'm fucking serious (laughs) people die strange death sometimes Yeah. yeah yeah um and and for some of these guys, like with with Russia, it's probably a lot. Like with the communist countries, it's state sponsored. Yeah, and not even just the communist ones. Like there's right. just different countries, you know, make it a national priority. Like you know, our Olympic movement isn't. I don't believe it's government funded at all. I think it's all right, like, right. Um, you know, like uh, donors and whatever kind of commerce that the, the different governing bodies can kind of put together um but yeah in some countries it's part of the state system right like um they believe in it and they fund it and they do a good job with it and then and then f- where the where are the places that the athletes are making the rest of their money the bulk of their money where they, they can bring you in to deal with marketing is it through sponsorships through like uh you know associated branding and stuff like that um I'll like, sometimes I'll, I'll go to an event and the, the producer of the event will, will pay me. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, again, I, I make, I make, I make it work through the, the athletes, right. Yeah. I, uh, I, well, that's I, what I mean. Like the athletes themselves, like their pride, the, 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 the package money, the prize money probably isn't enough to, to survive off of. Right. No, 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 no. certainly not. No. So, right. So there, that's the regional training center model. Um, you know, some of them have like good, like good sponsorship deals with their like apparel companies and stuff. Right, like that. that's what I mean. Some yeah. of them are making good money, but it's like a handful of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the regional training center system that's actually where a lot of these guys are and, and women are making a career out of wrestling. And you know, it's not a lucrative thing, right? Like they're not making NBA money or right. They're not they're not buying cars yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, well, the so, same here, even like with the, like the top grapplers in the States, like they just, you know, a lot of them just have like an apartment and that's it, but they're, they're doing what they love, you know? Yeah. And, and then they subsidize it with, um, camps and, uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. So seminars and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they're, they're, they're figuring it out. Um, but the regional training center model, that's really been, um, that's really enabled a lot of people to wrestle full time. So it's a lot like what you were saying at the beginning, like how you, you know, making the move to New York, like being multifaceted and having like a couple of like tricks up your sleeve. These guys have figured out how to do that within like the ones that are the most successful. Like you said, some places they've got a day job still like George St. Pierre was a, was a trash man in Montreal and would like train on the weekends. You know, some of those guys are doing that, but the rest of them just within the grappling world have gotten creative with sponsorships you know, the centers that you're speaking of, sometimes state involvement, so on and so forth to, to pull yeah. something together. And coaching, actually. Some yeah. of our right. coaches at college yeah. programs or whatever. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. think about that. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right. We're going to take one more quick break. We'll be back, everybody. We're going to wrap this one up. Hang tight. We'll be back in just a few. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. All right, everybody, we're going to wrap this one up here. We're talking to Justin Hawk. He is a grappler, a photographer, an actor, an investment property owner, and a handyman, among other things. And we were talking throughout the show about all of his misadventures leading him to being a grappling photographer and, like, kind of keeping the ball rolling, what the international scene is like, what the national scene is like, um, and uh, the influence of actually training grappling and wrestling and this is something i've talked about many times on the show the the effects the mental effects of committing to something like that and how it can exponentially make your your job better your business better your home life better um so i'd love to you know kind of take some time here at the end to to tie that in and we were just just you know discussing at the end of the the last portion how you know, these wrestlers in, in other countries, especially where um, where they, there's not a college circuit, like getting really creative and, and pooling their resources to come up with a, a, a type of income that actually allows them uh, the opportunity to hire somebody like Justin to, you know, fly across the globe and document uh, their process and, and help uh, share the story, which is something that Justin has has highlighted as well uh, as, as a passion of his. Um, so what are, what are some, some suggestions, Justin, for the kids coming up that the next grappling photographers <laughs> that, that are all listening and just, just waiting for your wisdom? What would you, what would you say to them, uh, for somebody that was like trying to come up, uh, and do this? Yeah, you're creative, right? You got to find, uh, find a need and, uh, whether that's finding one that exists or creating it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like 
and just figure out a way to make it work. And uh, yeah, and you know, I think I've had to do that and I've been fortunate to have opportunities that kind of presented themselves to me, right? Like, you know, I, it, it, things really, I won a couple of, um, of awards. I got like a photographer of the year yes. award and a journalist of the year award. And getting those really like kind of helped springboard my, uh, my economic side of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think just being good at what you do, right. Like if you put out a good product and you put it out in the world and, um, you know, it's a community of people, like people will come to you. Um, and you know, so it's been a, a mixture of that, like just busting my ass and trying to get really good at it and constantly evolving and constantly thinking about new ways to do it. And, um, and then coming up with ways to make it a business, right? Like I started this portrait project uh, five years ago now, and uh, I turned that into a business model where I would go to tournaments and take portraits of people and people would pay for that. So, um, you know, it's just figuring out how you can make it work, right? Like there's transferable skills, right? There's different models that exist in different other places that you may be able to uh, modify and adapt and, and implement in a different space. And, you know, trying to do that kind of stuff. So, and then, but no, go ahead, finish it. Yeah, it's the same thing that applies to anything else, right? Right. Put the time in. If you're passionate about it and you are excited about it, um, then it'll, it'll work out, right? Like, I, I never pursued this because I thought I was going to make a lot of money, (laughs) right? Like, it was always about just something I really cared about and something I really wanted to invest myself in and my time in and you know the money part has kind of like figured its way out like along yeah. the way in part because i'm like pursuing it and in part because um it just so happens that when you do a lot of things and if you start doing them well like people will start to pay for it well you certainly can get better at something when you remove the profit motive like when that's your hyper focus you know, I, it's funny, I had a meeting last night with a guy who was interested in opening his own restaurant and he's ran a bunch of them here in New York and, and knows the business, but he's never taken that final step. And he's looking at the, the, the landscape right now. And he's like, I think it's, I think it's time. And I'm like, it's great time to get into a restaurant because there's so many empty ones and you can just, the cost of entry is so low. And I said that to him, I was like, I was like, it's good that you're passionate about this because there will be times that that's the only thing surviving you where you're not making enough money. You're looking at it and you're like, this is not profitable because it, it just ebbs and flows. You know, there's no consistency to it. And I was like, but if you're if you're really passionate and I was like, I get the feeling, the sense that you are, you know, like, that's good. You just like focus on that because when you focus too much on paper and on numbers, like your behaviors change and then the passion starts to like, dissipate a little bit and then you start you know especially if that that tactic doesn't work out and you you still don't end up making the money then it really starts to like you start to talk yourself to the ledge and you're like i don't know about this man i don't know about this at all um and so how have things like you you know it's great advice just in general how has that serviced you over the last seven months where like events kind of got put i mean even travel was kind of like put put to a standstill events were put to a standstill i mean fortunately you'd made the smart move to to deal with uh, like some investment real estate, which seems like that's that's helped out. What are some of the other things you've done uh, to just like help you get through this, uh, you know, difficult situation? Well, I've never had a shortage of things to do, right? Like I'll take, I'll go to a tournament and shoot 30,000 photos 
and yeah. not edit all of them, right? So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, for a long time, I've been so like moving on from one event to the next and never feeling like I could catch up on things. Yeah. That there was this like little fantasy in my head about like, if I could like put the world on pause, right? Like Zach Morris style, like call a timeout. Yeah. And just have time where nothing else was happening. I wasn't missing anything. And I could just sit at home and edit and work on things and like catch up and get some things together. That would be amazing. Well, I didn't think that that would ever happen. And I certainly never envisioned it happening this way. Yeah. You know, like if you can't control it, what can you take away from it that's positive? Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it was hard. Like, you know, I didn't have a gig for five months. Right. So I had no income coming in for five months. Um, and, uh, I had all the time to do things. So I was working on things and I was, you know, catching up and like sleeping for a change. And that was really nice. And, um, you know, doing whatever, but, uh, it, it, it was an opportunity. Right. And, um, I just, I just tried to find ways to do it. Like, how do I make images? when I can't be in the places I want to make those images. So it was a creative exercise too. And trying to figure out, you know, how can I take, you know, screen captures of things and is that a form of photography? And, um, you know, what does it even mean to be a photographer? So, uh, it was, it was an interesting set of exercises and now I actually feel like things are really picking up. Um, and I've got, you know, a bunch of different projects that I want to start going. You talked about Dan Gable recently. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he just got announced that he's going to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And so I'm working on trying to get a project together where I go and photograph him for a few days and, that and go crazy ceremony and stuff. Um, so I've got some you know, optimistic kind of hope about that. Um, you know, and these events that are popping up, you know, there's a there's a business model that is interesting outside of the wrestling community about, you know, how are people making this economy work right and you know what opportunities has the coronavirus pandemic presented and 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 created for people to start doing that so there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in in the world that um are opportunities like even in the midst of terrible terrible stuff happening there's opportunity and sometimes that's where the opportunity is created from so Awesome. Fantastic stuff. Where can, uh, where can people find out about you? We're going to have to wrap it up and drop the, drop the digits. Where can all the ladies get, get in touch with you? <laughs> this went so fast. That was- oh, it does. It always does. Yes. Uh, my website is, is the, probably the best place to go. And then that links to everything else though. That's jhawk.com, which is uh, J H O C H.com. And uh, you go there and that'll link you to everything else. It's got, you know, all my other social handles and it's got images that you can look at and all that kind of stuff. Headshots? Lots headshots. of headshots? Well, I have another business for that. That's hawkshots.com. Hawkshots. So yeah. I love it. That's such a great and like awful name at the same time. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's got a little bit of a dad joke vibe. To it, but yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. That's yeah. awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, man. Great stuff. Really like fantastic advice great messages and also just great to catch up. Uh, make your ass, we get your ass back down to the city. Let's do this. Let's find a couch to rip apart. Let's just find one. Yeah. I mean, we can do that. We can make that happen. We can definitely do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Peace out. Awesome. Thank you. 
listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So Now You Know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 